0: So this morning uh, we are in the fourth of our five part series on the solas of the Reformation. For those of you who maybe are our guests here this morning and haven't heard any of the messages, um, Reformation had its 500-year anniversary. The Reformation was a time 500 years ago that was pivotal in the life of Christianity and of the church in rediscovering and reforming a whole series of very important beliefs and and rediscovering the power of some very important principles— and um, this is the fourth of those principles that we're visiting. And sola means alone in Latin. And this morning we're going to talk about sola Christus in Latin meaning Christ alone. And how that um, impacts our understanding of faith today. Because we know that the, the teachings and the, the, the understandings of the Reformation are not just four or 500 years ago. They're for today. And how do we live into those things um, today? Next week, uh, Mario one of one of our staff folks here in youth ministry is going to be um uh, sharing a message on sola Christi, or sola Deo Gloria, glory to God alone, to finish out the series. Um, Pastor Nick and I are actually heading out for a wedding celebration in Michigan of of Aaron Barrons, and we're really excited about that. But that also means that um, we needed uh, someone else to preach. And uh, Mario continues on with his seminary studies, and he's learning a lot and growing a lot. And I'm excited to see um, the recording of what it is that he shares with you because he and I were talking this. This week, and I think he's got a lot of good things um, to, to share with you. So uh, this morning, talking about um, Sola Christus, wh- what was Christ's place at the time of the, the Reformation? Well, um, if again, those of you who've gone to Europe and you've seen some of the um, cathedrals and you've seen some of the things of, of sort of the... the faith that have been around for a hundred years in that context, Christ was still um uh talked about. He was still shown. He was still proclaimed. Um, You see that in the stained glass windows. There's many stained glass windows that show um, Christ as central. And oftentimes, if you ever see um, a window with like a white thing around the head, that white thing around the head is always denotes Christ or a saint. So just in case you ever see a, a stained glass window wondering what that halo type thing around someone's head, it's because it's either Christ or it's a saint. And there's a lot of those windows in these cathedrals. Um, and he was still talked about every, every Sunday or every time they gathered for worship. But there were addendums. You know what addendums are? Addendums are those things that sort of get added to things. So if you do an addendum on um, like a legal document, you're saying, we agree to all this. But then there's also this. And you can have a whole series of addendums after an agreement that just basically keep adding to the agreement. Well, when they were talking about Christ, they had a lot of addendums at times in the, the church of the day. And addendums oftentimes look like this. You are saved through Christ alone and attending Mass. You are saved through Christ alone and attending Mass And going to confession. You are saved through Christ alone by attending mass, going to confession, and praying to the Holy Mary. So there were a series of things that were added onto this idea of Christ as the way to salvation that the people who were a part of the Reformation wanted to address and say, hold on, mass is a good thing. And confession is a good thing, not sure about the Holy Mary thing, but um, Christ is the one who saves, right? And so it was important to address that. And when we think, okay, well, we don't maybe have some of those things today, but I think we do actually. I think one of the reasons why being um, thoughtful about thinking of sola Christus is that sometimes in the church, we certainly add addendums to what faith is. Somebody is saved if they confess Christ and attend church. Somebody is saved if they confess Christ and don't live inappropriately. Someone is saved if they confess Christ and Do whatever. You can fill in the blank. And oftentimes, we do fill in the blank in our own lives with something. If you think about, like, even how we think about people in our world, people in our family, people in our neighborhood, maybe they attend church, and you think to yourself, oh, maybe you attend church, but I see the stuff. I see the parties that you have during the week or the weekend. I see the places you go and the things that you spend money on. If that changed, then I'd believe that you were a follower of Jesus. If not, then maybe you're not. But the teaching of Sola Christus says Christ alone is the way to salvation. Not anything else conditional. Yes, I mean, we need to bear fruit, and bearing fruit is an important part. We've talked about that in, in the catechism class that I led this week, that it's bearing fruit is an important thing. But ultimately, a confession in the depth of a heart of who Jesus is as the one and only Son of God who came to redeem, save the world, and give me life. That confession, Christ alone, has the power to save with no conditions. With no conditions. As we dig into this First John passage, we're going to see more about how God, through the example of Jesus, shows then us how to share that power of who Christ is and Christ is alone with the world around us. We're going to begin by reading from verse 7 through 12. If you would join with me as we look at this passage together. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but he loved us. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Now, Again, when we look at texts, we need to think about where they are placed and what's the context of the words that we hear from 1 John here. And this text actually comes immediately after another important text that has a discussion about people in the culture who don't speak a Christian message. It's talking about how that sort of uh, that how we're supposed to receive and how we're supposed to engage in with people who don't speak or live or profess a Christian message, and then we get this passage that says, "Here's how you do it." And for us to think about our culture, does our culture always profess Jesus? And certainly, we know the answer is no. Do we live in a culture where so often we hear messages that seem against the gospel or, or divergent from the gospel? And certainly the answer is yes. And I want you to think even now as we think about this world that we live in that doesn't, doesn't always and in fact doesn't often profess Jesus, how Christians often engage in the dialogue. What do we often do? Well, we create Confrontation, right? All you have to do is look at the uh, number of social media posts or, or tweets or other things that many Christians do. When something happens in our world that is completely, you know, against the faith, what is the reaction? And the reaction is often this violent confrontation and saying, no, you're wrong. And it's Interesting. Because it seems to me that this passage points out to us how it is that we confront the non-Christianity in our culture. And what is it that we confront it with? We confront it with, what is it? Love. Boy, would our social media posts be different, wouldn't they? Boy, would maybe the world around us Think about the church and Christianity differently. If more Christian leaders were to speak words of love, to speak words of blessing as opposed to words of cursing, because so often that happens, right? And what we're seeing here is that there is power in sharing love with a world that doesn't know the love of God, the love of Jesus Christ, because when we are engaged in that sort of work of sharing love, even with a world that doesn't profess the name of Jesus, we are living into God's example to us, because that's what he did for us, right? Think about this. Before you knew Jesus, knew Jesus, you were anti-Christian. Right? Because it says in the word, if you are not for me or against me. So before we knew Christ, we were anti-Christian. And yet God looked at us who were anti-Christian. And he said, what? I love you. I love you here's Jesus, here he is, here's my love for you, that even while you are my enemy, even while you say words against me, even as your life reflects an antithetical understanding of who I am and how I designed you and what your calling is, here's my one and only beloved son who is me, I'm going to let him die for your anti-Christian sake. And now he says, go and do likewise. (laughs) It means that the world that we live in, when we see the anti-Christianity, when we hear words that seem antithetical to faith, that we are willing to speak words of love. Now, I know what some of you are saying. That means milk toast. that right? That means we have no backbone. I think that love can have teeth. God's love had teeth. God's love shed blood. We can speak words that are strong. We can speak words that are true. We can speak words that have power. But we need to be speaking words that always are tempered and soaked and shaped and formed by love. Because that's what God's primary interaction is with us. And he tells us to do it for the others around us. The love that we're called to share with the world is sacrificial, putting others before ourselves. It's dying to our desires for the sake of Christ and others. It's that kind of love. And that kind of love doesn't post an angry social media post. It doesn't share something that condemns. It shares truth and it shares love. It shares encouragement and it shares blessing. Let's continue. Verse 13. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He's given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love of God that God has for us. Now, I want to hit some deeper theology or at least theological terms this morning. Because when we hear these words, especially that phrase that we, he has given us his spirit, we know that we live in him and he is us, It's and we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world, this verse acknowledges this, this important theological teaching. If anyone acknowledges Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God, it's a Pivotal teaching of the church. It has an important word. And I'm gonna, it's a big word for some of you, maybe don't know it. Many of you do, I know. The word is called justification. Anybody know what justification is? You know what justification is? Some of you are like, okay, I know the word, but what does it really mean? It means that you're justified before God. When God looks at you, He says, You're mine. And you are holy and you are righteous. And I can't believe I'm pointing at George and saying these words. You're holy, you're righteous. That's what happens when we're justified. How long does justification take? Anyone? Anyone? It's an instant. You profess the name of Jesus. What do we see? What does the word say here? This is what it says. It says, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, what does it say next? God God lives in them and they in God. So, I believe in Jesus Christ that he lived and died for my sake. He is the one and only son of God. And I trust him with all that I am that he has forgiven my sins. Justification, immediate presence of God in our lives, right? Instantaneous. It's the power of Christ alone in our lives. Professing the name of Jesus changes that reality instantaneously. Suddenly, our geography is new. Our personhood is made new. When we confess the name of Jesus, suddenly God is present with us and we are united with him. That's powerful justification. And it's also a promise. And it's a promise that you and I are never alone. Because there are a lot of us, certainly, that we go through challenges, trials, and burdens, and we feel alone. We use that word, I'm lonely in this trial, in this burden. I'm lonely in this cancer. I'm lonely in this mourning. I'm lonely in this divorce. I'm lonely in this pain. I'm lonely in this... This whatever this experience is, and friends, I'm here to tell you that if you know the love, the atonement of Christ for your reality, you are never alone. And that means wherever it is that you go, you carry Him with you. In fact, He carries you along with Him. It means that no matter what your circumstances are, He is always with you. I, I was reminded of that um, this Halloween. Uh, one of the family traditions that we have in our home is that on Halloween, we invite some people over. We have a fire in our front driveway, and we have kids who come and get trick-or-treat and stuff like that. And we're all sitting around the fire and have Kristen's amazing white chicken chili, which is so good and so awesome and so much a part of what fall is. As soon as we have white chicken chili, it feels like fall. And we sit there, and we have fun together together. And I invited, for the second year in a row, uh, an old youth group kid of mine who lives in Glendore. He's about an hour and a half, a bit away. And he ends up coming over, and this sort of seems to always happen whenever he comes over. He sits in my driveway after every, everyone leaves. <laughs> I just lost my other pair, so I don't hope I didn't break those. He sits in my, my um, driveway for about a, two hours after everyone else leaves, and we just sit and talk. And Miss Colleen, you are a servant. I am grateful. And um, you... Ryan is his name. And Ryan, thank you, was sitting and talking about his life. And um, he's he's sort of at a crossroads with some things. He's at a crossroads with his church. He's, he's sort of thinking about his old church sort of fractured and broke and is all a mess. And he was wondering about this new church that he seems to be called to, but it's a good drive away. And then he had this relationship with this girl that fractured and broke and it ended. And now he has this relationship with this girl, but that's like an hour away. And he's sitting there and he's, he's asking me these questions because we've had that relationship now for like 15 years where he often seeks counsel from me because he's foolish, but he's, he's, he seeks counsel and we talk about life and we talk about what's going on. And he said, I just, I'm afraid. Those were his words to me. He said, I'm afraid. I'm afraid that I'm going to mess this up because if I go to this church and it's not what God's called me to do then I'm gonna mess that up and I'm gonna have to find a new church and a new community and it's not gonna work and it's committing a lot of time and energy and I'm afraid I'm gonna mess up this relationship with this girl because because I'm just not sure about it. She's a really great girl but um, I'm just not sure if this is what God has called me to do and when I do give good counsel, believe me, it's not me. It's always the Lord who's speaking through me and the Lord spoke to me on Halloween, spoke through me to Ryan on Halloween And what I said was, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid of making a mistake? Because when you do things... That you feel God might be nudging you. Maybe he's not like yanking you by the, by the back of your shirt and pushing you over here. Maybe he's not slapping you upside the head. He's just sort of nudging. And there's enough nudging here that I can see that God is nudging you in some different ways. Why are you afraid when God nudges you that you're going to make a mistake and mess it up? Because he's with you when you're doing it. He's present with you. That's the promise of justification, right? Right? If I confess the name of Jesus, God is with me, and if God is with me, even when I ain't sure, even when I'm not positive, when I'm living perhaps, when I'm certainly living in obedience, I'm not living in sin, but I'm living into this place where I'm not really sure. I think I think about that for for my daughter Cameron right now. She's wondering about future for colleges, which is the right college. If God is nudging you, don't be afraid. I think about that for some of us who are in between jobs and we're wondering, what's the perfect job for me out there? Or thinking about relationships, who's the perfect guy or the perfect girl? Or what is it that I'm supposed to do next? If God is nudging you, don't be afraid because God is with you. Now certainly it means that you need to be on your knees in prayer. You need to be asking God, God, show me, make it clear, send your spirit, speak your words, allow others to counsel and encourage and and, and kick me in the pants if I need it. But, but Lord, I'm gonna go boldly in faith because you're with me. And you promised you'd never leave me nor forsake me. You'll never let me go. I can have that courage. To live into the life ahead, living in love to those around me. Because Christ is with me. He's carrying me. We talk about that. Paul talks about that over and over again. We are united with Christ. And friends, you're united with Christ in whatever it is that you do. Go boldly into it, trusting that God will be present and lead you in what it is that is ahead. Let's continue to mine here God's word. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We already just talked about one big, longer theological word that was justification. There's another word that partners with that. Does anybody know that word? sanctification, write these two words down, justification, sanctification, justification, split second moment, God is present because there is a confession of Jesus Christ as Lord and your reality is changed. Sanctification is what happens next. And what happens next is you and I are living in relationship with Jesus. What does the word say here? It says that, this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence in the day of love, in, um, in the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Sanctification is the process of believers in Jesus Christ becoming more and more like Jesus. How long does that take? That's forever. And I'm not going to, you know what? In fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge some of you. If you were in my catechism class this week, you heard it, I'm gonna say it here too. I don't think sanctification ends a death. We said a lifetime. I heard a lifetime. Sanctification takes a lifetime. But that means that you're saying that when you die, you're like Jesus. No. Let's have a conversation about that. Absolutely. You're just starting. When we die and when we go to live in the presence of God for all eternity, we're not like Jesus because Jesus is eternal. Jesus is omnipotent, omnipresent, All knows all things. Jesus is all things. He is the Son of God. And when we die, we don't become as like Jesus. We just begin the process for eternity of becoming more like him. That's why eternity is so long. Because it's going to take us a while, like forever, and it ain't never going to get done. And that's why heaven is such, or this presence of God for all eternity is such a great thing because through that, every day, in every moment, without sin, without pain, without tears, without struggle, without burdens, I am going to be able, you are going to be able to discover more about what it means to be like Jesus every day, it's not really day, just for all time, in eternity, because sanctification will continue. And this sanctification process is evidence of Christ alone in work in us. As we love more. Which means, friends, and I can tell you this, there are a lot of times that I ain't like Jesus. I ain't like Jesus. Because I don't love some people sometimes. There are words that I say, thoughts that I have, actions that I have committed, and I still commit them, And I'm not like Jesus. And the worst part of that for me, as I think about it and consider it, is that God is with me while it's happening. Friends, that's the call for us is to more and more every day to love like Jesus. Because if we are loving like Jesus, we are speaking his language. And the more we speak his language, the more we are like him. Here's the cycle. The more we love with Christ-like love, the more we're like Jesus. The more we're like Jesus, the less fear that we experience. And with less fear, the more boldly we can love more. What a cycle, right? You got fear in your life? You want to know a way to address fear? Love more. Because loving more makes you more like Christ. If you have more of Christ, Christ is more present, more powerful, more consuming of your heart and your mind and of all things. Well, He's the Creator of the universe. What do I have to fear? Perfect love drives out fear, is what we hear here. For us to love more, you want to test to that? Think of the hardest person in your life to love. You can name them, can't you? Get your piece of paper, write them down right now. Write that person down. I know my name. I know who it is. I don't have a pen, otherwise I would. And part of my growing more Christ-like is loving that person. If you want to know how to grow more to be more Christ-like, love that person. And it doesn't matter if that person and you have a personal relationship. Maybe it's a cultural figure. Maybe it's a political figure. Maybe it's a, a person who's even dead and gone. Love that person. Pray God's blessing on them. Pray God's presence for them. As you and I do that, we more deeply engage in God's language, become more Christ-like, and experience less fear. Let's finish the text. Verse 19. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen, God cannot love whom they have not seen. He has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Remember that um, Jesus was asked the question, who is my neighbor? Who is the one closest to me? And he gave the story of the um, Good Samaritan because of that. Christ opens up this idea of who our brother and sister, who are our neighbor, and makes it big and wide. It's not just the person that you are comfortable with sitting next to. It is not just the person who looks like you. In fact, oftentimes for us to grow more deeply in who Christ is in our lives, it is the person who is exactly opposite what we are. And as we can love into that relationship, the, the antithesis of us, we experience more of who Christ is in our lives. And it's not, this is not some ethereal, you know, I love everyone sort of command. You know, that you, you can hear people say, no, it means that I'm willing to, I'm willing to love whoever it is that you are. I'm willing to love Nick, even though he makes fun about my basketball skills. I am willing to make fun of James, even though I have texts from him that have taken me down. Because I needed it. That I will love my wife. Even though we don't always get along. That I will love my brothers. My sisters. My friends. Even when some of you send emails. Or phone calls. Or say things that can be hurtful. And that's for all of us. Because all of you have received those emails. Phone calls and comments. It's a real thing. This is not some ethereal love. This is particular. Finding those people in your lives who are challenging to love and loving them because that's exactly what God did for you and I through Christ alone. And through Christ alone, he equips us to that end. You and I, through the presence of the Holy Spirit and the presence of God in our lives, are now then equipped to do that, even though it is really, really, really hard. I was thinking about this and how to sort of get an image of this for us. And the best way that I could possibly think of was in the life of Jesus. If we're going to be like Jesus, let's love like Jesus did. So I want to take 24 hours of his life and love like he loved. And we can start that on the night of the Last Supper just before it happens. It's a triumphal entry, right? Right? Christ goes into Jerusalem, if you remember the story. Christ goes into Jerusalem and he sees all these people. And what does he say? He loves them as a hen would for her chicks, to gather them together. He wants to love with a protecting kind of love. And then eventually he ends up at the Last Supper with his disciples, and it's a, a love that is intimate, a love that shares truth, a love that shares shares um, instruction, a love that shares encouragement, which is what he did around the table. But of course, we know around the table there was one person there that was more difficult because it was Judas, and Judas was going to betray him, and yet Jesus didn't. He didn't get up and like stop him. He didn't get up and condemn him. He loved him enough to let him do even what Jesus knew was foolish. And then he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane. In the Gethsemane, he lives into this love of prayer He he prays for his disciples. He prays for the church. He prays for you and I. He prays for all of creation. And he's praying deeply so much so that it's like the drops of blood are falling from his brow because he's so much wanting to love us. And then he gets arrested. And he's got to love his accusers. He's got to love the person, and he does, who puts the whip across his back and punches him in the face. I don't know if his eyes were open. Can you imagine? Jesus looked at the person, knew he was gathering up the punch, and before it strikes him in the the jaw, almost in a whisper, I love you. And he loves the person who condemns him, Herod and Pilate, he just, Even though they're a mess, even though they're wrong, even though they don't get it, he still loves them. And then he loves when he's taken down the the, the, um, Via Della Rosa, the way of the Lord, and he goes to Golgotha and there's people jeering at him and spitting at him and ultimately the, the soldiers spike him into the cross and each step of the way he's showing love. Even on the cross, and all the words that he spoke, those words were words of love, even to the point of saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Friends, if you want to love like Jesus, live into all those kinds of love. Intimate with friends. Forgiveness of persecutors. Forgiveness even of those who condemn who never get it. Forgiveness of those who cause pain. Love for them too. If we are going to live into what the word says, if we are going to be like Jesus through Christ alone and his presence in our lives, we then live to love as he loved and when we look at his, this, that 24 hours, that's not even all his years of ministry. That 24 hours we see, we got a lifetime of learning to do. Because that kind of love is hard to give. But he's with us. So we know that we can. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence in us through Christ alone. Through Christ alone, we are equipped with your spirit. You are with us. You will never leave us nor forsake us. And you equip us to live into this world as you lived. And yes, faltering and failing and with brokenness and stutters along the way. But we know if you are with us, then we have your Spirit's power. And when we have your Spirit's power, we can have the courage to love, even when it's hard. And in loving another, we live more like you are. More like you lived on earth with us, and then we don't need to be afraid. Because when you're with us, You're the creator of the universe. You are the controller of all things. You are the one who has all of this in your hand. What have we to fear so we can just love more? That's work that you do through Jesus Christ. I pray for those who are here who do not know that power and that presence to love in that way. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name that you create a discomfort for them that only ends when they whisper confession of Jesus Christ, that you would move through your faith in their hearts that they might be transformed, might be changed, and might be willing to say, I need Jesus. And in that moment, Lord, everything might be changed. This is work that you and you alone can do in us. We ask that you do it today and in the days of he- ahead so that we might love like you have loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.